Hello, and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, science fiction, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And today we'll be going over our thoughts on season one of The Wheel of Time, an Amazon original show whose final episode has just released. There will be spoilers for season one of the show, but we will try our best to keep the book spoilers to a minimum, as it may impact your enjoyment of the next season. We're going to hit the whole season in one podcast and we're gonna try to not make it super long but i'm excited to talk about it uh i've watched some commentary and they tend to like break it up into little teeny chunks and i'm just kind of stoked that we're just jamming the entire meal into our mouth at one point and just going for it so let's do it baby i'm excited what is your experience with the books i'm kind of hazy on what you've read or what you haven't read I have a little bit of a sordid past with Wheel of Time. I know some people hold them up on a pedestal. They're their favorite books and like the peak of what fantasy is in their mind. And when I read them, I got so mired in like the middle of the series. I was like seven books in and I was like, I'm done. I just, I couldn't do it. I thought that the characters started bickering too much. And he started to kind of write about interpersonal pro he started to default back to interpersonal problems as opposed to continuing on the main story arc i just stopped reading them i was like a month and a half in six or seven books in i forget exactly where it was but i was just like eh, i'm out and i stopped and maybe i should go back and reread them this was like six or seven years ago so it wasn't my favorite uh the first book i really loved and i was like yes this is gonna be so good and then i thought they were going to accomplish x amount in the first book and they just accomplished a tiny little sliver of that and from there it was just not my thing so, but again no shade i know that they're so critically acclaimed people love them oh, what is your history with them i know that a lot of people have struggled with the series for sure i mean it's 14 or 15 books if you count the prequel long they're very long and they are a little bit repetitive too i know that robert jordan either through some agreement with the publisher or just his own personal preference he really liked to reiterate himself and repeat plot points and go back through things that the reader already knew about and so i think that that's what contributed to how big those books were but i personally loved it i've read the series two times over both times that I read it, I was doing a combination of reading the books and listening to audiobooks. So that helped it along quite a bit. But I think on each read through or listen through, there were things that I picked up on and things that I probably missed because I was at work listening to audiobooks. But over both reads, I'm sure I got pretty much everything. But as the series progresses, there are a lot of plot lines that seem like they're not very well sewn up. There are a lot of characters by the last few books hundreds and hundreds of characters lots of pov chapters and it is a very very lengthy in-depth complicated series but i love it i mean i love the tone of it i love all the character inter interactions robert jordan's world building is really really excellent i'll give him that the different countries cultures i fully agree with you and i think at some point in my life i'll give them a second chance and reread them Maybe now that I'm more mature or something. I just feel like, you know, like in the last book of Harry Potter, there's like this 200 page chunk where Harry, Ron and Hermione are just walking around in the forest, like bickering with each other and looking for horcruxes, like behind trees and under rocks. I feel like there was like four books of that. And it was just a lot for me. I wanted the story to progress. I do need to remind myself that these books were written, the first one anyway was in 1990. 
like a year after I was born. So if you're reading them and you think like, oh, this is really tropey. It's like, well, maybe at the time that wasn't tropey. Yes, there's been a million authors who have emulated that style since, but at the time that probably was really original. No, I mean, I still think they're really excellent books. I listened, to, I have them on audiobook and I've spent a ton of money on the audiobooks and the, <laughs> the actual physical copies. And I dip back in now and then and listen to scenes that I really, really liked. There's a whole sequence from the fourth book, The Shadow Rising, which is legendary among Wheel of Time fans. Uh, also at the, the end of the sixth book at Dumai's Wells, there are some really, really pivotal parts of fantasy history in those books. But some of those peaks are separated by valleys of boredom. And we yes. can all agree on that. But they made a TV show about this 14 book series. And boy, did they make a TV show. Oof. Okay, so, oh, you mentioned his ability to write the world. In my opinion, one of the things that the show emulated and was also really good at was building the world. I wasn't really into the first episode until I had my first wide angle vista shot of these towering moss covered spires. What was the moment for you that you were like, awesome? I think mine had a little bit to do with setting too. It was uh, Shadar Logoth, that city. Yeah. I think that was handled really well. And I think for both the book and the show, that was when the series really kind of comes into its own. And you see this whole ensemble really tested for the first time. And it splits everybody up and is really the catalyst for so many of the things that happen. And that was such a key scene in this show. And I think they nailed it. The acting, the music, the set, all of the CGI was just all so on point. And I think that the people that made the show knew how important that scene was. And I think they nailed it. That was when I was at least on board and wanted to watch the rest of it, for sure. I agree. I would have said the exact same thing. When the party got separated in that city was the first time I was like, okay, here we go. And then I like what they did with the creepy, magic, evil, fast-growing moss, soul-sucking that kills you. In the books, I'm pretty sure that's missed. But they did it really well in the show to, you know, mist is whatever. And the kind of creeping dark moss stuff, was it was really cool. I like, thought that was a good effect, a good change. Mist is hard to run from. You know, they did a good job of visual, like you could write it, but it, they did a really good job of visualizing that, like, don't step on this crack sort of thing, like running from it. And then it was an effective way to separate the party. So you can kind of get some like interpersonal play and deeper relationships built between each of the character groups as they split off into their own, like grow and then eventually meet up again. You know, after they've learned lessons, you know, Perrin and Aguin, they meet up with the, the Way of the Leaf tribe, you know, the traveling people looking for the song that will bring peace to the world. And they learn some lessons from that. And I, I just thought it was a really cool story element to kind of just break it up. Absolutely. Moving on, what, what are your overall thoughts of the show? I would say this is definitely an adaptation. It doesn't need to be a one-to-one -one carbon copy of the books. I'm totally fine with some plot points changing. And a lot of the plot points change to expedite these events, to get information into the watcher's head. And I totally appreciated some of those changes. And I think it's a solid show for the most part, but there are quite a few things about it that make me really not even look forward to the next season. At times, it feels like the Wheel of Time that I know and love. And at others, it just feels like a stock fantasy show I've seen a million times just with familiar terms glued to everything. It feels big budget and well thought out for the most part as a show on its own, but it's not necessarily faithful to the source material. I'd give it like a solid B minus. 
if I was going to give it a letter grade. I mean, that's a passing grade. I would give it a little higher than that, I think, just because, like I said, the books and myself, they didn't really resonate with me and the show did more so uh, resonate with me. And, you know, I'm probably going to get a lot of hateful comments about this, but like same with like Game of Thrones. There were just like some shows that I just liked the visual fast paced, forced quickness version of that tale better than the long drawn out, uh, you know, full meal experience that the books were. And I don't say that very often about books. I do have to give a quick shout out to Robert Jordan, because as many of our listeners know, you and I are reading Lycanius and Robert Jordan is so creatively not creative about some of the names that he gives the characters, right? He was like, well, there's a big bad dude. Uh, We're going to call him the Dark One. Perfect. That's good. That explains exactly who he is in the name. (laughs) And then he goes on to say, who are going to be the followers of this Dark One? Does he invent some complicated name with an apostrophe in the middle and two A's at the beginning? No, he calls them the Dark Friends. (laughs) (laughs) like when someone has their powers removed from them when they're harsh and they're going mad and they're killing people we need them to become gentle gentled we're gonna call them being gentled and i just appreciate that in the world building there's so many new names you know i know you and i have had discussions about lycanius which is a great book but he has so many characters james islington that begin and end with the same letters and it gets really confusing and so i kind of appreciated him just being like hey i'll throw you a bone the dark one I think that translates over to the show really well. The the names are all so distinct and even the characters are all really, really distinct from each other. I had a very good sense of place in the show. And of course, I've read the books, but um, I can see how even someone that had never read the books and was watching for the first time would at least be able to keep the information in their heads because there are really good naming conventions in here for sure. Let's laser focus for a second because there's a few scenes that I found really cool and really interesting. And I think that you probably thought the same thing. The first time that we get to see Valda, that evil white cloak guy, I really love that scene. I'm not sure if this qualifies as a trope, but it seems to be whenever you see someone eating aggressively in a fantasy movie, they tend to be super evil. Like the scene where Denethor, the steward of Gondor in Lord of the Rings, makes Pippin sings that sad song. He's like eating those tomatoes like a crazy person. They're like exploding (laughs) and like dribbling down. He's cracking the chicken bones and it's kind of gross. Or... um, Hans Landa in Inglorious Bastards when he's like ah 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 with full of cream and he's just being so evil about his food they did that same exact thing with Valda eating this disgusting like spiked thing and he's talking about how the bones cut your mouth a little bit and just enough to make you bleed um, and he's so calm about it while he's lighting the yeah when he's lighting the Aes Sedai on fire that scene was it was disturbing but so well done I want to hear what your thoughts were on it it was a very very good choice on the showrunner's part to have him eat something that was making the inside of his mouth bleed like that because it really does show how intense the white cloaks are and when you're reading the books every time the white cloaks turn up it's just like oh, here we go again these people because they're just this whole other problem in a host of problems that this world is dealing with, no one can stand these people. And they're so intense and they have quite a bit of power, like a disproportionate amount of power. I think that opening scene gave us everything we needed. The person that played Valda was amazing. One of my favorite actors in the whole show. He really conveyed what the White Clothes were all about. And that particular scene 
was done perfectly it was so gross and they even did it visually really well where he's wearing all white clean and perfect but blood is like dripping from the corner of his mouth and it was just like and he really believes what he's doing is the right you know and it's so creepy in movies and in tv and in books when you've got someone that's so obviously evil to you but they are 100 percent sure of their convictions and there is no convincing this person that he's wrong and it just adds to how malevolent it is really brilliant probably one of my favorite parts of the whole show i agree the contrast that they painted between his idea of what was right and then his actions which are so clearly wrong to the average person watching was just like uh it was really good. Uh, what was your one of your favorite talking about like characters and, and their interactions? What was one of your favorite character interactions in the season? Oddly enough, it had Valda in it, but it wasn't really about Valda. But that part where Egwene and Perrin got captured by the White Cloaks mm. and Valda told Egwene that she needed to channel or else he was going to kill Perrin or it was something like so that was the deal. Yeah. Um, Perrin and Egwene's connection there oh oh man that was really good from the outset i really liked the actor that plays perrin and the actor that plays Egwene. both are just excellent and them together in the books is already fun i like that dynamic and they really pulled it off in the show too for sure what about you i liked their whole story arc a ton Uh, and my favorite character interaction was between them perrin and Egwene are out on like the wastelands of the mountain cold shivering and Perrin's trying to strike up this uh, fire and he's using this flint. And he's like, I got it. I got this. And he's trying. And then Egwene like uses her powers and lights it up. And we kind of get the impression that it's her who's actually lighting it. And then he, he turns to her and I thought it was really humble because he's obviously like trying to be the man and like protect her and make the fire and make them warm. And he's like humble enough to be like, was that you? And she's like, I don't know. I really enjoyed that scene. You know, the wolves are right there. They make a fire. And it's very rarely do we get a man woman interaction in a show that doesn't have a seed of romance in it. And that's just like two friends helping each other out to the best of their ability. And one of them is really suffering. Perrin killed his wife in the first episode, just axed her to the stomach and is suffering from that and hasn't told anyone the entire season up until that point. Speaking of Perrin killing his wife, I do want to go over that really quickly because it seemed to be a lot of people's chief complaint with at least the first half of the show. And my thoughts on it are basically that Perrin for the first third of the eye of the world isn't really doing a whole lot there's Mm -hmm. not a really very much of a reason for us to be attached to him and rand is kind of the main character he's the point of view character for eye of the world but since we're working with kind of an ensemble cast here we need to give the audience something to some glimpse into how perrin acts and reacts to things so giving him that emotional path to go down early on gives us an insight into how Perrin is as a character. And it was pretty extreme for sure, but it gave him something to do. It gave the audience something to latch on to. That's not just, oh, he's just Rand's friend. It's such an accident that could happen. And there's so many times that you're watching like movies and things like that, that you think like, it's amazing that no one shot each other in this firefight. Like it's like chaos is happening. Then he does. And I just thought it was really realistic and brought him really grounded to earth and it was the first time I got a little emotional in the show, just trying to put myself in his shoes and being like, oh, dude, if I did that, like, 
oh man, you, you would never forgive yourself. You'd be trying to the whole time because like clearly it's not your fault, but like, man, it so literally is well done. Is that in the books? Um, no, that's not. It's not. Oh, okay. I mean, that's just the, the showrunners. It's like I said, you know, we can't just have exactly the exact same things that are happening in the book happening in the show because if the show would be a hundred episodes for the first couple of seasons you know we do need to expedite some of this stuff and some of these changes that they made i feel like we're totally fine and brandon sanderson himself who obviously is not robert jordan he didn't create this stuff but he is a pretty big part of its ending he said himself that this is another turning of the wheel which I totally agree with, you know, the the whole idea behind the Wheel of Time is that it's this cycle, right? And, you know, things are different in every cycle. And I'm cool with the idea that this is like kind of a little bit of a parallel universe Wheel of Time kind of thing. They do that in Marvel all the time. Like, why oh, can't, yeah. you know, like they have total whole other timelines and stuff. And I'm fine with it. Like, my chief concern is, is this show entertaining? Yeah, you know, like I really do like the idea that we're following a story that I'm so familiar with, but there are parts of the show where I'm not entertained, <laughs> where I yes. I really just am having a hard time caring about stuff. But those moments are pretty few and far between. I am mostly having a good time with it. Me too. And kudos to Brandon Sanderson for describing the differences in the book versus the show in the book and the show's own terms like it's just a different turning of the wheel like well played brandon well played yeah speaking of those moments were there any parts of the show that just kind of rubbed you the wrong way that you were really weren't a fan of i feel like there were a few times that the show abused my trust and mainly they were regarding visions especially the one that comes first to my mind is the last is it the last it's either the last episode of the second to last when moraine and rand are in the um the blight there we go they're in the blight and he like wakes up from his sleep he's having a conversation he's like the dark one is coming and then halfway through her sentence she gets like just punctured through the back of her head which i like stopped it i was like oh my god that just happened and then it turned out to not happen. And they they do that a few times during it. And I was just like, okay, stop. Like one or two times is fine, but I feel like they just abused it a few times and it just annoyed me by the time that I was done with the season. There are a couple of moments like that for sure. Like when Nynaeve, like quote unquote, dies and then yeah. Gwen brings her back. Yeah. It's in there to pad out some drama and get some quick gasps out of people. But I mean, it is kind of weird in a show when you're just killing people and then bringing them back right away like all right all of the Aes Sedai die when they're trying to prevent the dragon from escaping they basically just get all wiped out by his like power pulse burst and then Nynaeve in this display of monumental power which is a cool way of showing that she's super powerful I get it but she like heals them all and it's just yeah. like they just keep doing it where they're like we're gonna kill this guy nope not quite plot armor but we're close i think it's a pretty good way to showcase how powerful some of these people are but they just do it too many times like there's got to be other ways to show this stuff i do wish we would have got to know the false dragon a little bit more 
Logan was great. Yeah, he's. He, I liked the actor. He did a really good job. Uh, I liked the little cutscene that we got to him of like him taking over some city, and he's about to kill this guy, and he's like, "It was the king of Gildon." Uh, it was the king. I just thought he was like a scrub guy. No, he was the king of a whole country, Gildon. Oh wow! It was interesting to me because you're kind of understanding of where he's coming from. Like you know, someone was like, "Since you have this one trait, you're going to definitely become mad." And at the first couple times you use it, you're like, "I'm not mad." So maybe you're just oppressing me for no reason. So you kind of like resonate with him and like get where he's coming from. So I just liked how they did that whole story arc and then the Reds stripping him of his power and then she gets kind of in trouble, which is a good segue to the Amerlin. The first time we get introduced to her, she comes out, sits down in her seat. What did you think about the Amerlin? I thought that was all handled really, really well. I was kind of put off at first because I was hoping that they would add in, you know, because the Amerlin was a fisher girl from, I think, Tyr, one of the cities. She was brought up from being really poor. And at first I thought they had made her like a little too regal. And I was like, ah, man, are they going to mess with that whole thing? But then when Moraine goes into where the Amerlin apparently sleeps or some kind of secret spot and it looks like a fisher girl's like hut and she's using all those sayings that she likes to use in the books i was like cool yes we got it That's awesome it. yeah uh so i thought they handled that really well yeah the omerlin doesn't even appear until the second book so i thought it was an interesting choice for them to have her in what was that like the sixth episode or something yeah i think so yeah okay so they get introduced to her i thought she did a fine job i was like oh she kind of comes off a little like icy and pretentious so i was not initially like very behind that character and then we see her and moraine which they make as like a lover thing which i think is hinted at in the books if i remember but i don't think it's so clearly like there's no makeout scene in the books in the books they're like really good there's like a term for it they're like really, 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 really close friends. Like partners. Well, they 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 came up together in the in the tower as um, novices before they became Aes Sedai. So they've been friends for like a really long time. And I think in the books it's kind of hinted at, but I think it was cool that the show kind of just was like, yeah, that's what's going yeah. on, you know. And we I, had I, too many secrets, which is nice. I don't need so yeah, many secrets. Sometimes no. just tell me stuff, you know. And it's cool to just see, like, oh yeah, those two characters. Like, that's kind of a cool. That's kind of a cool twist on everything. It's like, oh, now we have this dynamic to deal with. You know, not only are Suan Sancha and Moraine, they have to keep this kind of secret that they're looking for the dragon and stuff, and that they're working together, but. They're also lovers, and so, you know, what would everyone think about that? So, yeah, definitely definitely a good call on the showrunner's part to take that liberty. Agreed. Did you notice when they decide that she needs to be, ex- that Moraine needs to be exiled, the Merlin, The Amerlin. The Amerlin. <laughs> the Amerlin. When they decide that she needs to be exiled, and then publicly, the Amerlin is having her hold the little, like, magic, you must do this stick and making her swear i don't remember the name so that's that's my technical term for it i think everyone knows what you're talking about it's like a secret keeper or uh she says you know she's supposed to repeat after her word for word and she says like you can't come back unless the um, amerlin seat says you can and she moraine responds to that and says i won't come back unless you tell me that i can so she changes it and you're like oh someone just made a loophole it is a really cool thing about the books and the show does stay faithful to that 
that Aes Sedai can't say a word that is untrue. And it is really interesting because they technically can't lie, but they omit stuff all the time. And it is just, it is, and I think they play it up a lot more in the books for sure. The Aes Sedai in the books are much more mysterious than they are in this show, I feel like, even though we are spending a lot of time with them in both. We see a lot of the Aes Sedai in this show. A lot. The inner politics of the White Tower don't start becoming as big of a deal till later on in the books. I feel like the Eye of the World is, as a book is mostly about Rand. Yeah. You know, it's it's basically all about Rand. I think there's a couple different point of view chapters, maybe, but it's like 90% Rand. And I was kind of surprised at how Rand got kind of pushed to the side in this show. And they kind of made up this whole mystery of who was going to be the Dragon Reborn. And I know that that was to the benefit of the people that had never read the books and were watching the show because it built up a kind of interesting mystery, I suppose. But it ended up being one of the characters that we didn't really spend hard, like any time with. Yeah. Right. I mean, Egwene and Nynaeve's powers were so much more fleshed out and we saw so much more of their character than we ever did of rand and then in like the second to last episode rand is just like it's me it's, it's me. me and there's no <laughs> proof or anything like no. we're just supposed to, like the audience is supposed i got a to super hunch so i thought that that was a little weird i can see why they would want people to guess until the end of the season like who the actual dragon reborn is but it kind of backfired and made it so that that reveal fell a little flat, maybe. To yeah. I already know. I was sitting right there with everybody. I was like, are they going to make Egwene or Naive the Dragon Reborn? <laughs> Which I don't think I'd have like a huge problem with it on its surface, but that would have been so much work, like writing all of that out, because you'd have to change everything, like everything. <laughs> it would have Did to be. That. Are Egwene and Naive ever conferred in the book that they could possibly be the Dragon Reborn? I don't remember it ever being possible that it was one of the female characters my understanding and i could be totally remembering it wrong because it was like seven or eight years ago that their whole purpose in accompanying moraine to the white tower was to get trained was that an um, element in the books not really i mean uh lewis lewis theron telemon is the original dragon right and moraine as a blue aja is supposed to be looking for the dragon reborn so it's never really said in the books that the dragon reborn can't be male but i think it's definitely inferred that it is the okay. reincarnation of luz theron telemon who was male um and i think it was a cool idea at least as far as the show goes to leave it up to mystery at least for a little you know some of the show i didn't mind it it was just i just wanted to be remembered of what happened in the books Totally. Um, a character who deserves strong shout out. So awesome. Loved the character. Loved the actor. Loved everything about him. Uh, was the Ogier. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Loyal. Lo loyal. Yeah. yeah. Who has just way too many vowels in the middle of his name, but he is awesome. Totally. <laughs> He's so awesome. He's kind of like this like tree beard, like mm, humans are so hasty. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, he was just like. That's how he is in the books too. He was that cozy blanket character. I just liked when he was around. Yeah. Loyal is a really excellent addition to the books and. But that was another thing that I wish would have been given a little bit more screen time was that Rand and Loyal become really good friends really quickly. And in the show, it was kind of like we had the meeting where Rand meets Loyal, but it's just kind of to introduce Loyal. And then it's like not really touched on again. And it, it just kind of bummed me out. It was like, mm -hmm. well, that's a pretty cool connection. And they just kind of glossed over the whole thing. But they're just going to gloss over stuff. Yeah, they have to. 
Yeah. In the books, Rand is feeling a little ostracized, right? Because he's in this tower of powerful women. He has not learned his powers yet. He's just kind of this scrub that's along for the ride. And he's hanging out in this tower. And he's like, if I do end up having and then using my powers, they're going to kill me because I'm going to go crazy. And so he really latches on to the loyal character and they become very good friends. And I think that's kind of the vehicle for their friendship in the book, if correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Okay, so tell me a few things that you didn't like about the show uh i felt like the whole show was just way too dramatic on the whole and maybe that's Mm. because i am familiar with the books and the books have a lot of really light-hearted moments obviously the stakes are very very high from the outset and i understand that this is epic fantasy but i felt that the tone of everything is just it's the same no matter what the conversation is about The way that most of the actors in most of the scenes project everything just has so much weight behind it. Every line is delivered with so much gravity. It's all just dripping with emotion and intensity (laughs) to the point that it all kind of just starts to feel the same. There's little to no emotional dynamic in this show, at least in my opinion. And there's so many like long pauses between everything that people say. And then someone says something else. And then somebody says something else. And then somebody says something else. <laughs> and it's it's like these scenes are just dragging on for so long. And um, I don't know. I just maybe it's just me, and maybe I'm being very, very hypercritical, but everyone is just it's everybody just talks like this. And everybody's just so upset and you don't understand and I don't understand and why am I watching this show it makes for every interaction and just it kind of just has the same feel to it and that is kind of one of my beasts with it is that the books definitely don't feel this heavy all the time mm-hmm. you know, like the dynamics between Matt and Egwene and Perrin and Rand like there's a lot of playfulness and a lot of joking and they are kids that have grown up in this small town together since they were babies and they all have their own kind of inside jokes and ways of interacting with each other. And I just felt like that a lot of that was kind of pushed aside so that we could make the most intense, epic interactions we possibly could. And it's like, eh, I don't know (laughs) if that's all the show is. then yeah, I mean, wouldn't those really intense moments be better contrasted by the less intense ones. And another like kind of small thing that I noticed was that they mentioned the horn of Valir in the very last episode (laughs) and i don't think anyone in the audience knew what that was they kind of had a couple throwaway lines about like what it was but it's a pretty important part of the books and they just kind of threw it in on the last episode and i thought that was a little lame don't explain it i feel like that could have been done a little bit better I agree. A little build up, you know, like whenever we are introduced to a baddie in Star Trek, he immediately starts by taking Worf out, right? It's because Worf is super badass and is like the big, strong guy. And by taking him out, we kind of get this like, oh, okay, this guy is super badass and strong. And then like the horn, they were just like, no, it's super important. And also just as a last kind of thing, and maybe it's because the last episode is so fresh in my mind, but they did my boy Perrin kind of dirty like he's really just standing around with nothing to do for the whole last episode and i kind of hate it in shows when there's a character i really like but at the height of the action they're just standing there being talked at and then the episode kind of ends 
And that happens a couple times in the last episode where a character is kind of explaining something to Perrin and he's just like, oh, okay, like I'll just absorb all this information. And then that last exchange between him and Pat on Fane, I don't know, I just felt like it was kind of weak. And I would have liked to see Perrin over the course of the books is one of my absolute favorite characters. Same. And I'll go and, and, you know, if we ever do a Wheel of Time episode about just the books or we do a whole read along or whatever, I will explain more in detail and in a more spoilery fashion why i love parents so much but i had high expectations for parent okay so i agree with you uh, and i also disagree a little bit because here's what i think they were trying to do i don't think they did it well because i agree in the books parent was like the one character i would really like to have in a bar fight and get a beer with but he killed his wife so he's emotionally troubled then he meets up with these people who are totally against violence. He has a lot more questions than just the average person would about him. He's clearly like interested in their philosophy and their worldview. Totally. And I think he tries to do it. He tries to follow it. You know, he's like, I'm going to be the way of the leaf guy and like go against all violence because the only time that I did get violent, I ended up doing something terrible that I'm never going to forget is going to affect me every night, every time I try to sleep for the rest of my life. I think you're really onto something there. Yeah, they're trying to explain his arc there and how he goes back to being okay with violence and like being like, okay, but sometimes it is actually appropriate to stand up in the face of evil and grab that axe and swing it at the bad dude. I don't think they did a very good job, but that's what they, in my opinion, were trying to explain. And that has a lot to do with Perrin's growth over the whole series of books too, without spoiling anything. You know, it's like, are you going to choose the hammer or the axe? Are you going to create or are you going to destroy? Yes. It's such a great question to ask of an epic fantasy character. Yeah, maybe that is what they were trying to do. And if they stumbled their way to that conclusion, they stumble their way through. And as far as hitting all of these really important character points, I am really willing to give the show a lot of leniency, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, I've never made a hundred million dollar show nope. before. I bet and it's an adaptation. Really yeah. But it is kind of difficult too, as a fan. And you're like, you have all the source material. You've got it all. It's right <laughs> you... there. Why are you adding things to this thing? That's already good. Stop. Like, it's okay to subtract stuff if you really have to, but don't hurt my baby. The wheel of time isn't even my favorite series I've ever read or anything, but it does have a huge, huge spot in my heart. And I know that there are people that are listening to this right now and there are people that are not listening to this right now that it is their favorite series they like it more than they like star wars they like it more than they like lord of the rings it is their star wars it is their lord of the rings and i can totally see why somebody that loves this series seeing this show would probably be pretty disappointed in it for sure it does feel like just kind of off something about the whole show feels kind of off I wanted to, for the first episode or two or three, I thought it was like, oh, the CGI. Like maybe I just don't really like how the Trollocs look or the magic is done. And just they're very close to bowling a strike, but like they just leave a few pins up. I think they're going to pick up that spare though in the second season because the Great Hunt is, there's some really cool points of that book. And I would encourage anybody that's listening that has watched this whole first season and might be a little put off by it. Give the second season a shot because boy, do things start ramping up. I'm really excited to see, like, are they going to do 14 seasons of this show? I hope so. Like, fuck it. Bring it on. Like, like I've said multiple times across multiple platforms, I have watched way worse shows than this. Way worse shows. <laughs> <laughs> like, so many. But I think it's really tempting when you really are close to something and you spent a lot of time. And in this case, when there's 14 books and millions of words, 
when you've spent so much time in this world with these characters, with this story, you do become a little defensive of it. They're your friends. Yeah, and the cracks seem a lot bigger Mm -hmm. in the story or in the show. And you start to think, wow, they're really doing this whole show dirty. Like They could have done so much better. But you know what? The first season of shows, not always the greatest. Uh, the nope. first season, I'm not a big fan of the first season of The Office. I think it, they tried too hard to make it like the British version. <laughs> so funny. I was just going to say that. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like the characters yeah. haven't figured out like their dynamic yet. It's kind of awkward because the whole show is about awkwardness, right? But they're like actually kind of awkward. With, they don't know how to interact with each other. They're like learning how to build this dynamic there. And it's just, they have all the ingredients, but you're just not quite nailing it yet. And then they nail it once they get to know each other. I would love to talk to someone who has zero interaction with the books and get their take on it because I would be interested. Because uh, like we're seeing it through like a filter, you know, like mine less than you because you've read the books twice, but I would be interested to see what they have to say. So two things. One I liked, one I didn't. One thing I really liked was the intro. The intro was awesome. All the weaving threads that make the i just think they did a really good job of like portraying the philosophy if you will of the wheel and like the tapestry being woven and at the end it like like unravels and you're just like yeah i I loved it uh maybe not as much as the game of thrones intro which was Uh, we almost went that whole episode without you comparing it to game of thrones i thought we were gonna make it it's just the intro it's not even But no, it, I got I, mean, a, I got know. a game I got a Game of Thrones vibe from the intro too. Yeah, they were like, dude, Game of Thrones intro was so freaking cool. We just have to like do it kind of like it. that, but totally different. And I got a vibe from it. It was good. I like that a lot. The thing I don't like, and this is something I'm sure I'll complain about many times on this podcast, is bad strategy. I don't like when they're like they have a bad order for things. And what I'm talking about in this one is the last episode. The four or five women get together. The Trolloc army is just taken down. The entire army, they've punctured through the wall and they're charging these four women standing in the middle of this field. And she's like, link with me. And they like link up, which great. That's an awesome power to have. And then she, they collectively destroy the entire Trolloc army in like one power surge. Why didn't you do that? before all of the army got slaughtered like they could have gone to the other side of that first barrier if you knew you could do that why didn't you do that it's like at the end of like a sword fight this one guy's like oh i had this machine gun i should have brought it out i could have just mowed down the army before all these dudes died in a sword fight okay well just for the sake of being argumentative maybe the woman that kind of led that linking process knew that they could do it but didn't want to because she was worried that it was going to burn them all out, but it was like this last... Oh, she's worried it's going to burn out the three of them? What about the, like, (laughs) 4,000 dudes that just died (laughs) defending the whole place? Like, I know that that's a rough decision, and we shouldn't, you know, say, like, like, the end justifies the means or any sort of, like, you know, we all individually have value, but, man, I feel like that decision was just not very good. If you knew you could have done that, if you knew you had that capability... Why wait until the last possible second that you specifically you are going to die to use it? Like I, I don't know. No, you're. <laughs> I just don't, I don't like strategy can... out of order. <laughs> that kind of stuff is just gonna happen in a show like yeah. this, unfortunately. Because with a book, no, I don't even want to. I don't even want to defend it that much. I really don't. <laughs> no, I was gonna do it, but like, yeah, I feel like there's a few parts in the show that are kind of like that where I was like. 
oh, they're doing that? Okay. All right. I will say, though, I liked because a few times in those books, I remember pretty clearly the explanation of the connection that the magic users have when they take in too much power. That kind of like lusty, like, I feel one with everything. I feel the whole world and every molecule moving. And they tried to give you that with her, like, looking up the sky with lightning power coursing through her. And she's like, I see and feel the whole world. They tried, you know, and it was like a good attempt. You can't get inside someone's brain and like explain that feeling the way that a book can, you know, you just can't in a movie and they tried. So I appreciate that. If there's any other thing that I have to say is I was a little confused at the very end when Rand kind of kills the dark one, but doesn't kill the dark one and then leaves. And he's like, I'm afraid I'm going to go mad. So I got to bounce. I got to get out of here because I don't want to kill my friends. And then Moraine lets him go. And then like a minute later, Lan comes in and she like picks up this rock, totally unexplained. And she's like, it's this type of rock, which means it's never, he's like, that rock is never supposed to be broken. And you're like, okay, I guess that's like unbreakable rock. He's like, what does it mean? And she's like, it means that this is just the beginning, but she just let Rand leave. So like, if she didn't think it was the end, why did she let the guy who could make the end happen leave? I don't know. I was confused. I was confused. I think that was just another attempt by the show to. You could tell towards the end of that episode that they were really scrambling to set up a second season. Yes. And it was also very evident with what they did with Matt, because the actor that plays Matt in the first season is not playing Matt in the second season. And I don't know if they've cast him yet. So I think that they had to kind of work around that a little bit. So that is kind of one of the things that's that's Mm -hmm. not the show's fault. And they probably had a different ending for all of that. I think Matt. Why is is Matt not going to be in the second season? I have no idea. That actor. Which is weird because I thought that, that that guy was a pretty good Matt. Me too. He was a solid <laughs> Matt. Yeah, we didn't even talk about Matt in this. No, he was probably of sex. He was like, dude, I'm supposed to be like this roguish fun guy, but uh, who also has this kind of darker side because I'm greedy and like, you know, has just kind of a selfish dude. And all I got was the selfish greedy dude part and I wasn't roguish fun. <laughs> yeah, that was one thing. Uh, Matt Cawthon is a very big fan favorite as far yeah. as people that love the book. I so, loved him. Uh, yeah, he's a really great character. I'm more on Team Perrin myself. <laughs> but um, Matt, I feel like, yeah, Matt didn't get a whole lot of time to shine. Just Matt and Perrin and Rand's whole dynamic, I feel like, was definitely pushed aside. And if I am going to end on a note of something that I wasn't super thrilled with, it was probably that. If there was one thing that contributed to me not really feeling the Wheel of Time vibe, it was definitely the dynamic between Matt and Rand and Perrin, just not really being there. Or for that matter, the dynamic between Nynaeve and Egwene, Matt, Perrin, and Rand, because Nynaeve is a little bit older. She's the wisdom. Just the whole two rivers thing that they have going on in this wider world that they're now all participating in is such a cool, fun thing in the books because they are all naive and they're all really young and very like conservative. Yeah. And now they're in this wider world and seeing everything. And like they facing just, it together. Yeah, and they just didn't really nail that for me in the show. And I think they were focused a lot more on politics and kind of made up interpersonal drama. Yeah. Like when story Perrin, elements. Like when Rand thinks that Perrin and Egwene were like fooling around. Right. It's like it's like, dude, Perrin just killed his wife like a week and a half ago. Like you, <laughs> like this, this man is, is suffering. Like, this is really you? weird. Yeah. 
it's just weird as someone that's read the books and knows these characters and it's very jarring when they do something radically different than they would normally do like when moraine tells ashamael or you know the dark one that she's gonna cut Rand's throat if he doesn't choose the light she's gonna choose it for him that was one of the the parts in the show where i kind of like leaned back and i was like really is that what they're doing with moraine like they're just gonna make her do this completely out of character thing take all autonomy away from the chosen i don't know really really weird but we could sit here all day and just pick this show to pieces but I think we've done a pretty good job. At I'm going to swing my hatchet one more time with a question. Do you, <laughs> do you tell me, cause you've read the books and so I, and I, my memory sure. is terrible. So was the random, totally unexplained. Um, I can see your destiny bartender. Was that supposed to be your introduction to the Min character? That was Min. Yeah. Okay. Okay, mm-hmm. good. I kind of got that vibe because I was like, Oh, they have like similar powers, but I didn't know for sure. And I think they handled that really well, because at first I was like, wow, they didn't go to, I think this town was called Baylorn or something. Yeah. Um, they didn't go there. And I thought that that was kind of weird, because I was thinking, oh, Min is a really important character Pivotal. in these books, so why didn't they do that? And I was really stoked to see that they added her in, and it made a lot of sense to add her in up in the Borderlands like that. It's just a good call, because in the books, they kind of introduce Min, and she gives them all kind of like this weird reading, and then she's not really mentioned again for a long time. Good choice on their part. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it was bad. I was just confused, because I'm an idiot sometimes, so. They did skip over two really important characters which would have been the queen of a country called Camelin and her daughter which i'm not going to get super into because they might put them in the second season but you know it's just stuff like that let's end on a high note the the scene where the dark one takes an arrow rand's arrow to the eye and then pushes it through and it envelops like turns his like crazy mask into his actual face was yeah that was really awesome great. Uh, yeah yeah the actor that they got to play that part that guy was uh really really cool clutch do you think seeing the show and reading the books that our listeners who have watched this show should pick up the books and read them absolutely honestly the show and the books are so different from each other that you could really just enjoy both of them in their own way i mean the books are very very long like i said it is a bit of a commitment but you could really, in tandem with this show, if you really wanted to, it would be kind of fun if you had never read the books to read Eye of the World, see what the differences are, and then before the second season comes out, give The Great Hunter read. You know, and maybe if you are reading them in tandem with the show coming out, you don't have to read them all at once. The show will refresh your memory and vice versa. But just seeing this piece of fantasy history Robert Jordan, you know, you say that in the right fantasy circles and everybody gets really excited. He really was a fantastic writer. Some of the lines in The Wheel of Time and some of those early books that he wrote are forever etched into fantasy history. It's worth at least checking out the first couple books. You know, it's like equivalent to reading the first couple of sort of Shannara books or the first couple <laughs> Earthsea books or the first couple uh, Lord of the Rings books. And, and you don't have to read all 14 of them, but I will say, those last three Brandon Sanderson books are fantastic. Some of my favorite fantasy books ever written. And the, the series does slog down in the middle, that's for sure. But I think that one of the reasons that people felt like it was so difficult to get through those middle books in the original 14 is that they were waiting years between each book. 
yeah so it's like it doesn't feel as intense when you're kind of burning through them i'm glad you i think i might try to give not now i have too much fantasy on my play right now but i might myself give them another try because i didn't learn that brandon sanderson who is one of my favorite authors picked those books up and finished them until like a year after i was like eh I'm moving on because I couldn't make it through the slog. And I wish in retrospect that I would have had the discipline to stick with it and read through because they weren't bad books. Like you said, they're cornerstones of fantasy culture. And they were written, you know, if you read them and you're like, oh, this happens in so many other fantasy books. Well, yeah, that happens in those books, but like they're copying him, not the other way. You know, he he was an original creator, crafter of fantasy that we know today. And also that slog that people talk about like books seven through 10. I don't know if it's as bad of a slog if you're really into the books, right? Because for some people, their favorite series is Harry Potter and you've got seven books, right? And the first few of those books are pretty short or your favorite books are Lord of the Rings and you've only got three of them. Your favorite books are Twilight and you've only got five of them. But with The Wheel of Time, you have 14 or 15, if you count the prequel, 14 giant books and those slow parts are pretty cool for people that are really into those books they do not feel like a slog they feel like more of this really really ingenious and very well fleshed out world that was created seemingly just for them that's a very wise statement evan i i agree if i would have taken the time maybe and had the discipline to care a little more i probably wouldn't have considered it a slog at all i just i got bogged down and i moved on perhaps the Ogier would waggle the finger at me for being too hasty. <laughs> I mean, it's just like with anything else, you know, you gave it a fair shake. Maybe it wasn't for you. You move on to something else. And I think that some people with this show in particular, too, they tried it out. They watched the whole first season. They're not super stoked for the second season. And you know what? That totally makes sense. Yeah. You know what I want to talk about next? The Witcher. Let's do that sometime soon. You want me to watch? I still haven't watched any of it. Do you want? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I haven't watched the second season at all, uh, but I love the first season and I've read a few of the books, just the short story ones, not the big ones, but I love the game and I want to get into that with you. I'll watch the first season of The Witcher. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. Okay, let's do it. I think with that, we are all good. We could obviously keep just tearing this apart and really digging down deep, but you know what? I think... uh, This has been a pretty good delve into the Wheel of Time show. And I'm definitely going to watch the second season when it comes out. Me too. And I'm a little bit inspired to pick the books up again when I've got some uh, empty space in the... You're never going to get... Just you and me have too much to read. I was literally thinking about like (laughs) the lexicon, the library of books that I have in front of me already planned. So I will get to them at some point. And with that, I'd like to wrap this up and thank everybody for their time. We really appreciate you being here for this discussion on season one of The Wheel of Time. And I have to give a special shout out to Amy Galloway for being a Conqueror level subscriber to our Patreon. Uh, So if you enjoy this content and want to hear more, please subscribe to our channel. We enjoy talking to you and uh, we want to bring you more awesome discussions like this one. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much, everybody. And that's a wrap. I think that was one of our best wrap-ups ever.